Hello, my name is Austin. Welcome. Welcome to Waypoint. So glad you're here today. Um, I hope you're feeling a little more rested than Noah. <clears throat> Since we got an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> Sorry, Noah. I do love you if you're in the room. Um, but we did, in fact, get an extra hour of sleep. And uh, like Noah, however, um, I had no clue. I had no clue that we were falling back, as they say. Um, and so this morning, when I went to make my coffee and saw the time on my coffee maker and oven and microwave, um, I needed to do a triple take. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a double take. You know how, like, you, you, look, you look once and you kind of, is that it? It was like, I looked once, looked again, and then it, like, was like, I didn't, I was not, my shower did not take that long, right? <laughs> like, that, I, and at that point, like, my sense of reality was, like, completely distorted, okay? Because um, <laughs> then, guys, and I'm, I'm being so serious with you, that, that this is, like, don't make fun of me. Um, but I don't know, again, I don't know if it's because, like, we've got a little one in the room, and I was just, I was, I was tired because she's, like, in this chirping, talking stage at five months. And so I don't know if it was just because I was tired or, um, or whatever, but the absurd thought crossed my mind that I, or, like, my past self, got lost in some sort of, like, interstellar, like, Marvel movie time blip. Yes, I'm serious. And then I had a minor freakout because if that was, if that was indeed the case then I'm late because I like to be here at a certain time when I'm teaching. And so I'm dreaming, like, right? I'm like, okay, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. I'm going to wake up because that's not the time. Like, wake up. And then my sense of reality returned <clears throat> when I went and grabbed my phone because phones never lie. Noah was also right about that. Um, and saw that the, the, it was indeed uh, the time that I first thought it was. So, oh, like I was like, I could breathe again. <laughs> um, Sight. <clears throat> Sight is what largely informs our reality. 80 to 85% of our perception, learning, cognition, and activities are mediated through vision. When I saw the time on my coffee maker, I was already finding a way, psychotically perhaps, to turn my perception into reality via the time-space continuum. Okay? Which reminds me. Hey Siri, service now starts at 11, and I'm having lunch with Hulk after the service, right? That's essentially how I, how I was feeling. We can't deny that seeing helps inform what we believe to be true or our reality. Seeing is believing, some would say, because of that. But what happens when what we see isn't right or true? or real. Our reality can become distorted. In some cases, the distortion is so bad that we actually become blind to reality. When Jesus walked among us, as real as it gets, few actually saw him for who he truly was. In fact, more often than not, it was the blind men who truly saw Jesus and the men who could see who Jesus called blind. Seeing is not always believing. 
Jesus told Thomas, one of his disciples, after his resurrection, because you have seen me, you have believed. He followed that up. But blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Today is our third week in the series we're calling Real Life. That was John 2029, sorry, I didn't, I didn't clarify. Um, today is the third week in the series we're calling Real Life, where we've been reading from the, from the letter of 1 John and learning what it means to live and have real life, true life, eternal life, not just that futuristic kind of, you know, far off from now idea, but when Jesus says life to the fullest, life abundant, that is now here in the present for you, real life, true life. In, the chap- in chapter one um, of his letter, John writes, this is the message we have heard from him. And he actually, he repeats we have heard several times. This is the message we have heard from him. And then declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Many people saw Jesus, literally. Many people never heard Jesus. And because of that, the light, so to speak, was never turned on. Have you guys ever considered the first line of that, of that hymn, Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was, but now I see. The Apostle Paul in his letter to Romans, which is a deeply theological letter, much like the letter from John that we have here, Paul writes, Faith, faith, belief in who Jesus is, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. So before we dive into God's word today, God's word for us um, in John chapter 3, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for our hearts, for our ears, and that as the light is turned on, we would have eyes to see. So can I pray? God, thank you for this morning and for an extra hour of sleep. Jesus. We know that you are the word, the truth, the way in life. We know, God, that we, as we come to the scriptures, we're going to meet you. We're going to learn about you, and we're going to discover things about you, your character, your story, that are going to inform us, reveal things to us. Bring some things out of the darkness and into light 
shape our reality. And so God, as that happens today, and every time that we dive into your word, God, may we humbly approach you. May we humbly approach the scriptures, hungry and thirsty for you, Jesus, hungry and thirsty for living water, for real life. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see that this morning. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Starting in 1 John, uh, this, we're actually going to be picking up in chapter 2 because we didn't, we didn't end it there last week, and so we're going we're to. We're not going to leave out any verses, okay? I said we're going all the way through it. I'm not changing my mind. Not at this point. Maybe I should. Anyway. Very end, 28, chapter 2, verse 28, starting there. And now, dear children, continue in him, or abide, abide, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I don't know about you guys, but there are definitely times in, in my walk with Jesus that I am not confident and unashamed before him. And I think that there are times when that's a good thing, because then the, that's oftentimes when I need to take a second and say, God, what do I need to, what do I need to put before you? In order so I can abide in you, God, what do I need to, you already know it, Lord, but what do I need to give over to you so that there's no like a, a, assuming going on, like, God, yeah, you know it, you know it, I know you know it. But for me to just say it and put it out there, kind of like how we were at a marriage retreat this weekend. Um, and it was awesome, by the way, but they kind of touched on this. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, I, they, did, they did talk a little bit about like um, how men are in, in marriage and how um, women are in marriage and how sometimes um, men are supposed to be mind readers. Um, and we're just like supposed to know, we're just supposed to know what, what, our, what our wives are thinking most of the time, all of the time, in fact, actually. Um, and so they kind of touched on how that, 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 that's, we're not, men aren't, men aren't mind readers. Now we, we can read body, we should be able to read body language, men. We can, we can be better at this. Okay. I acknowledge that. But there are times where, um, Morgan can't just assume that I know what is going on and that, it, that it, at times the, the type of healing that needs the forgiveness that needs to happen in the relationship can only come if I say and own my mistakes. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is kind of like what, what, what's happening here. So we, we can be confident and we can be unashamed before, before him when we continue to walk in the light and abide in Jesus. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Righteous? It's, it's, it's a churchy word that you might hear often, and it's essentially doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Someone who is righteous does what is right in the eyes of God, who's obedient to God's word. That is that, is that, that, is that word righteous. Does what is right, has been born of him, born of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John is reiterating something here that, he, that was in uh, the Gospel of John. And this is, uh, this is in... Um, do I not have this? Yes, this is, in, this is in John 1, 12 through 13. Yet all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God, born of God, who believe in Jesus can be called children of God. And that is what we are, children of God. And I think we hear that sometimes and it's like, yeah, I've heard that before. It's another kind of one of those churchy like cliches, like you are a child of God. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I've heard that before. And we don't really grasp the magnitude of that, that when you become a child of God, that like that is you now bear God's name. You bear his story. His story becomes part of yours. Your story becomes part of his. That's part of the legacy that I hope to leave with, with my daughters, with my children that they bear my name and, and my father's before and, and, and so on. And God's, of course. Dear children, continuing, verse two. Now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And so there's this idea here that, that John is putting up before us that there's this time to come, but until, that, until Jesus has been revealed, and he talked about this a little bit in the last time, Jesus is the second coming, that that time has not yet been fully revealed. But when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope that we will one day see him and be like him fully and completely, all who have that hope will purify themselves just as he is pure. Hope. Another word we hear a lot in church. What is hope? In the Greek, to anticipate or expect, be in expectation for. In the Hebrew, hope is about expectation again or waiting, waiting. But what are we waiting for or expecting real life. We are expecting that to be happening here and now in our lives, real life, a life lived in hope for Jesus Christ. Hope that there is a glorious future to come, but also here and now too, since it is in this present world that Jesus came to display God and the life of his new age real life. Because of that hope that we have, we live differently. Because of that hope, we live differently. What we hope for shapes what we live for. 
going to say that again too. What we hope for shapes what we live for. So we should make every effort now, John's saying, in this hope, make every effort to be pure in the same way that he is pure. Pure as Jesus is pure. Okay, easy, right? Heck no. Maybe for some of you. That's great. That's fantastic. Uh, but no, that, that sounds like a really, really difficult challenge, John. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? But I think it makes sense when I put it like this. Let's say you work in sales. Does anyone here work in sales? Okay. Some, thank you, Tyler, for raising your hand. Some, some people do. Anyway, if you work in sales and you are trying, you're, let's, say, let's say you're going to another country, you have a very important client in another country, in a different culture, speaks a different language, right? If you're good at sales, you would probably make an effort to learn at least a little bit about their language and their culture, right? You would probably try to do that in advance so that when you get there, you can greet them by their culture, in their language. Or let's say, okay, let's say um, you really want a job. Let's say you're going to a future employer uh, for a job that you're really, really hoping for. If you really want the job, you would probably make sure that you have learned enough about the organization to make a good impression, right? That would make sense. And if you're going to meet Jesus himself, John says, you would want to make yourself pure. But how? So John goes on. He continues with another really easy challenge. He says in verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him, abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That is a difficult word, John. I don't know about you guys, but I am a sinner. <laughs> Pretty good at it. I try not to be. But I am. John is quite clear here. Following Jesus, abiding in him. Again, that's one of John's regular ways. We're just saying like we, we're be we belong in him, meaning we have that fellowship with him, that life-sharing idea that we talked about in the first week of our series. Abiding in him, fellowship with him. When we have that, that means a, trans a transformed character. A transformed character character because John knows of course that I'm a sinner just as Jesus knows that just as God's just just as he as Paul wrote for we all have fallen short of the glory of God that Christians do still sin from time to time and he even wrote there, there's a remedy for that go read I'll read it for you. This is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, because he knows he will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. 
What John is referring to here when he says anyone who abides in Christ doesn't sin, he's, he's talking about here is, the, is your whole life, making a habit in your life to go on sinning. Sinning as the regular mode, the autopilot way that you live your life. This is why often when Jesus forgives, he follows that up with go and sin no more. We should be doing our best to avoid all kinds of sin all the time. And we will fail and mess up. Again, go read 1 John chapters 1 and 2 again if you need to. The point is that those failures must take place within a settled habit of a life in which sin is no longer setting the tone. I get when we read these. these can be a, this is a very intimidating portion of scripture. But listen, friends. The point John's trying to make is we are playing a different piece of music now, so to speak. And even if your fingers slip sometimes and you play the wrong notes, notes that belong to the music that you used to play, that doesn't mean that you're going to go back and play the old music once more. It doesn't mean that you're just going to go and continue playing the old music. No, you have new music to play, a new way of life with the lights turned on. So as John continues, it's not surprising that John says, don't let anyone deceive you, because there have been many, and there are many today who teach that sinning is just perfectly all right. It isn't. To carry on as though no change in your life is required to show whose side you are on in this battle, in this fight for our lives and for the world Change is required. God, as he says in verses one and two, has made us children in a whole new way. And being fathered by God means that our new selves, our new real selves, cannot and will not sin habitually as our way of life. That is not real life. Again, what you hope for shapes what you live for. And it would appear to me that the greatest sin, it seems, is the failure to love. John goes on. So he says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is righteous, the one who does what is right, just as God is righteous, he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning since the beginning, right? Since the very beginning. First book of the Bible. Right there. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. You have a new identity as a children of God, as a child of God. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. He goes on to say, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. He had hate in his heart. And his brothers were righteous. They were right. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. 
And we might read this quickly and justify ourselves. I'm not like Cain. I've never murdered anyone. I'm good. Like, I'm good, John. Thanks. Good sermon. Appreciate it. Good word. Good sermon today. We can go home now. Sweet. Bring up the band. John's like, the sermon's not over. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Right? Oh, he wasn't done. And do you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him? You may not have ever murdered anyone, but have you ever hated someone? Have you ever wanted the worst to happen to someone? Had hateful thoughts towards another person? And not corrected those thoughts? No, you haven't. You love everyone like Jesus did? Are you sure about that? I know I'm not. This was a really convicting word for me as I was preparing for this message. I don't think we realize how radical Jesus' love was and how radically Jesus loved people. Because it's really easy to say, yeah, I love everybody, Austin. Jesus loved everyone. That's, I, I love everyone. Man, it's really easy to say that. It's really easy to say that because I don't think we have an understanding of love, a proper understanding of love sometimes. I think some of you, I think some of us are really good at this. I do. So let me clarify that. I hope you guys hear my heart in this. This is a hard one for me, so I hope you guys, I'm not yelling at you. I'm preaching at myself as much as I'm preaching to you guys. That's always my goal when I get up here to be transparent with you. I know I'm on stage. I'm up here. But man, this word went straight to my heart too. So. John goes on. He talks about this love. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And he says, if anyone has material, this is an example, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And I don't think it's just material possessions. I think we live in, we just came out of a friendship series. Right, where we talked about that it, we, have a, we have an epidemic of loneliness going on, that people are crying out for friendship and relationship, and some of us are just like, I'm kind of at capacity with people. I've got two or three good friends. And like, we don't bring people in. We've become tribal in that sense. We've forgotten what it looks like to go out and make friends and be kind to people and welcome people into our homes, into our relationships, into our families as brothers and sisters that we are called to be. That series was, was so good for us. Some of us even met in small groups during that time and built relationships and connections and community with people. Some of us made, we have that 
We had that and we gave that and we opened it up and we participated in that. Some of us, some of us have, been, have been fortunate and blessed in other ways. And John's telling us that we should be stewards of that because that's a way to show God's love. Because he goes on to say, dear children, don't love with words or speech. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It is so easy to say, I love you. It's a lot harder to take some time on your Saturday and go help someone move, right? (laughs) It's a lot harder to open up your schedule to someone you might find overbearing and grab coffee with them. It'd be easier to say, I love you, but I'm just busy right now. Which I get, again, I get that. I do, hear my heart. Let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. Does this define your love? Sacrificial action. Is this how you love your brothers and sisters who disagree with you? Who are on the other side of the political aisle? Who don't think the same, look the same, talk the same? Is this how you love them? And I think... I think sometimes that uh, we have used this idea, we have used this, this specific scripture to use uh, truth as a weapon. Where the source of that is actually malicious and hateful. You see, the source of truth here is, is what? What is the source of truth here? Action and truth from what? From what, friends? Say it. Love. Love. You don't have truth if you don't have love. It doesn't work to say, I love them, so I told them the truth. That's not the truth if you said it in a way that's hurtful and demeaning and disrespectful. That's the opposite of the, of the truth in this circumstance. Truth in the absence of love is not truth. Truth is only truth when it is in the love of God, fully embodied in the way the truth and life of Jesus That is the truth that we share with people. I'm not saying that we need to be just, you know, welcome mats, that we need to be pushovers or anything like that. I'm not saying that we need to agree with everyone, that we need to condone, that we need, I'm telling you, 
There is no truth without love. That is my point, however this meets you today. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth and set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Listen to the, to the time that the Holy Spirit convicts your heart because God is greater and he will forgive you. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we can have confidence before God. We know we are walking in the light, abiding in the light and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to what? Where does it say? I'm lost up here. And to what? Love. I hope you're getting a pretty good picture of, of 1 John here. And how important love is in the church and in fellowship with God and others. The one who keeps, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in him, abides in fellowship. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. We aren't alone when it is difficult to love. We have a spirit. And when we fail at loving, we have the spirit who comes alongside us, alongside us walks us through that time, helps us to, strengthens us to seek forgiveness, to admit our sin, and then to repent and walk in the other direction to continue to walk in the light. This is a deeply theological work here, friends, and I know this isn't always the most practical stuff, and band, you guys can come on stage, please. I get that. Real life is a life full of hope, and from that hope also flows love in actions and in truth. So when you find yourself struggling to find hope, take courage. Take courage that he is with you. That Jesus sent us a helper, his spirit, to come alongside us He is with you in the waiting. He is with you in the hoping. He is with you in the anticipation of the life that is promised. And he celebrates with you when you experience that life, when you experience grace and forgiveness and joy and mercy. He celebrates with you when you experience love and peace. Remember his promises in the waiting. Cling to his word. Remember that you're a part of God's family now, and God's story is now a part of yours, your story. And again, I understand this isn't the most practical stuff. Like, Austin, what do I do now? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. To be honest, I don't know. I don't know what this looks like for you. Maybe go love people. Like Jesus did, like he actually did. I'm not saying go like die for someone, but love so much it hurts. It's not, it's not blatantly obvious by now. God, God deeply cares about how we love people and how we care for others. And so yeah, I don't know what that looks like for you this week. I don't know who you're tempted to have hateful thoughts for, but could I challenge you 
and encourage you to find a way to flip the script. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and love that person in whatever way, shape, or form that looks like. So I hope that in loving action, you realize you are living out the truth. And in that comes the reminder of that hope that one day the world will be filled with that kind of love. Amen? Amen.